The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com All right. Well, it's good to see everyone here this morning. Uh, we want to go ahead and turn in our Bibles to, what are we turning to? Colossians. Colossians chapter, I got this on a little closer to my mouth because I don't have a tie, I forgot, and I don't want to pin it to my sweater because, just because. <laughs> and you know, it's just like, you know, when I flex, it'll pop off, you know. <laughs> All right, it was a joke, but I guess it wasn't funny. All right. Colossians chapter 1, uh, going through uh, verses uh, 9 to 14, but this is uh, actually going to be in two parts, because believe it or not, there's so much in here uh, to unpack, uh, and I just, you know, I, I have this tendency to want to just kind of get through books, because I'm just, I just not like those pastors that, you know, find a sense of pride in taking seven years to get through the book of Romans. I, I'm just, I, I'm just, maybe it's my ADD or something like that. I just, I can't be there that long. Um, there's just more in the Bible than just the book of Romans, right? <laughs> so uh, Colossians chapter one, verses 19 to 14, and it's going to be in uh, two parts. Um, while you're turning there and getting ready, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, when he was a boy, he once remarked to his mom, he says, mama, you can't be good without praying. And she said, well, how do you know that, Robert? He says, because I've tried. And uh, he talked also about a story that he told about another little fellow who had been sent to his room because he was being bad. A short time later, he came out and said to his mother, I've been thinking about what I did, and I said a prayer. She said, that's fine. Um, if you ask God to make you good, he will help you. And he said, oh, I, uh, I didn't ask him to help me to be good. I asked him to help you put up with me. See, different, the interesting thing about these stories is the different perspectives when it comes to prayer. Sometimes we're praying and we think we know how we're supposed to pray, but in reality, when you look at it from a different perspective, you realize that we've been missing the mark. And it's one of those things that I think affects our prayer lives today. So the question more specifically when it comes to our prayer lives today, are we really understanding the will of God for our lives? And do we really know what it is to be pleasing to God? See, this is essentially a summary of the content of Paul's prayer here today. He prays for the Christians in Colossae, and it's focused in on these two things. Now, of all the things that we pray for today, are we really praying for clarity when it comes to the will of God? And are we also praying that we do things that actually please him? See, the thing is, I think that we think we're praying in accordance to the will of God, but the question is, do we really know? The other thing, too, is we're doing things that we believe is actually pleasing to the Lord, but is it actually? Paul's prayer here does not just give us an example of what it is that we should be praying for, but it shows the true nature of what's important in our lives as Christians. So let me give you an example here. When we hear the will of God, when you hear that, what is it that comes to our minds? See, because in current culture today, in current culture today, and all the different self-improvement, self-help, self-coaching, life coaching techniques that we have, we tend it tends to cause us to see the will of God more in the sense of how it affects me personally. Think about that now. You hear somebody says, the will of God. What's the will of God? It's, like, it's almost automatic in our culture today. We start to reflect and think about the will of God 
more as to how it affects me personally. What do I mean by that? The will of God for my life. All right? I'll get ready. Because, I mean, we've heard it, right? Let's just be honest. We've heard the teachings when it comes to the will of God. The perfect will. The permissive will. The popular will. The crazy will. You know, all this stuff. Different kinds of wills of God that we hear. That we're seeking. That we're trying to find. And all of it tends to put us in the center of understanding what it is to be in the will of God. Foundationally, because in our culture today, we see Christ more in the sense of what? He will do for me, right? Because the popular saying goes, in the modern church, God is not worshipped. God is used. It's our culture. Many times when we read or we hear about the will of God, we immediately think about our vocation. We think about our career. We immediately think about a, a, a future choice or our future that's determined by a choice that we have to make right now or at some point in the distant future. When we seek the Lord's will, we seek it over whom should we marry? Where should I go to school? Over major purchases that we're about to do? Over which church should I attend? Or what to do about current crises that I have in my life? When a huge decision is to be made, the first thing we will ask, the first thing people will say, what is God's will for your life? Did you seek God's will on this one? Let me say this. It's not that any of those things are bad in and of itself, okay? I'm not trying to say that these things are bad. But what it does is it creates a real problem, at least a very misleading one. Why? Because it causes us to see the will of God only in terms of our career, our marriage, our future, or some kind of self-centered category. We're so concerned with finding out the will of God for my life that we neglect the already revealed will of God for your life. Do you get that? Super important that we get this. Instead of leading a person to find the will of God for their lives, we should be encouraging them to do the will of God for their lives. All right, get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Another one of those sermons that gets myself in trouble. The Lord has already given us so much in the Bible concerning his will. And the less we know about the Bible, the less we know about his will. The prayer of the psalmist is to teach, he says, teach me your will. He doesn't say teach me your will. He says, teach me to do your will. Meaning, the will of God is already revealed. We are just not doing it. Because we're chasing his will that we already know. See, that's the reality. If we're honest with ourselves, we know what God's will is. We just don't like it. So we're trying to find another way. Psalm chapter 143, verse 10. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. So concerned about God's will for our lives that we neglect the will of God already revealed for everything. Right? We say, hey, Shane, I believe that we have all we need for life and godliness. Do we? Do we really believe that? Here it is. In a nutshell. This is worth, this is worth the, the, the price of admission today. Right here. If you get this, you're going to be good. Instead of being concerned about whether it is God's will to do something, the question we should ask is, can we do God's will by doing that something? Did you get that? Because we're always asking, what's God's will when it comes to something? You got this good idea, great idea. Yeah, that sounds really good. Well, what's God's will? Let's, let's make sure that we find out God's will for this idea. No, the question we should be asking is, if we do this, will we be accomplishing 
God's will. Super important. It's so, we're, it's so convoluted in our minds today. So convoluted in our minds today about chasing these, these kinds of things, trying to find something that we think apparently exists outside of the Scripture. Family, it doesn't. It's all right there. Again, the question is not, is this God's will? The question is, can I do God's will by doing this? So let's take a better look at it in our passage of Scripture today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 14. Colossians 1, 19 to 14. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light, who has rescued us from the dark, uh, kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word, and we pray that you continue to lead us into all truth and into the knowledge, the complete knowledge of your will. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is the essence of what we should understand as the will of God. And the second thing we will explore is the knowledge of the will of God consists namely of wisdom and understanding. And the last thing we're going to do, uh, look at is the, is the hope that we find in the simple work that the Lord desires for all of us. So our thesis statement is this today. Though sin and the pattern of this world, the sin, the pattern of this world, and the philosophies of this world may cause us to lose perspective on the will of God. It is the truth of the scriptures and the illumination of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to be complete with the knowledge of the will of God that we find in Christ and in Christ alone. So, point number one, the will of God. Teach me to do your will. See, it's important for us to understand that this passage of scripture here in Colossians, it's foundational, foundational for us to know what it is to truly be pleasing to God, right? And I think we can confuse that a lot. We confuse uh, understanding what it truly is to be pleasing to the Lord because a lot of times we think that pleasing the Lord is just doing what the Lord asks us to do. So do you think that it would be pleasing to the Lord for us to pray every day? Generally, we'd all say, yeah, it is pleasing to the Lord for us to pray every day. But what if we pray every single day with selfish intent in our heart? Do you think that's pleasing to the Lord? So it goes so much deeper than just the outward manifestation of things that we do. So in order for us to truly understand this, though, we have to get a clear picture of what it is when we say the will of God. See, and, and what Paul is saying here is in direct contradiction to the Gnostic-type teachings that was happening in Colossae at the time. They think that teaching knowledge and having knowledge is important. See, he's talking about the knowledge of God's will. Knowledge is important, and all the surrounding philosophers and teachers in Colossae at the time would all say the same thing. But here's the problem. The problem is they said, yeah, beginning with Christ to gain knowledge is a good thing. They will all say it's a good thing. It's just like we say in our world today. Following Christ, going to church, all that stuff, that's a good thing. But the problem is, during that time, the philosophy of the time was teaching that Christ, yeah, it's a good place to start, but it's not all you need. That's the real problem we're going to see in Colossae. This is essentially, family, the real problem we see in our culture today. It's not that Christ is being set aside. You know, we're not seeing that apparent in our world. I mean, we see that in other countries where Christ is just completely set aside. But in our country, in our culture, we're not seeing Christ as being set aside. What we're seeing is that, yeah, Christ is important as well as Buddha, as well as this teaching, as well as this spiritual. It's, it's like what we're saying is that, yes, it's good to have Christ, but Christ is not enough. We need more than that. 
And what Paul the Apostle is going to make very, very clear in this book in Colossians is we absolutely don't need any more than Christ. Matter of fact, if all you have is Christ, you've got more than enough. So much more. Paul is praying that they would receive the complete knowledge of his will. And it's found in Christ and in Christ alone. And he's going to make that very, very clear in verses 15 to 20. Right? So you see kind of where I'm going when it comes to the, the complete knowledge of the will of God is found in Christ. It's not a secret. It's not a mystery. It's not something that you got to go out into the world to seek to find. I just got to go out there and I got to seek and find God's will. No, the complete knowledge of the will of God is found completely in Christ and in Christ alone. So Paul prays that God will make you full Complete of the knowledge of the will of God. And this is what is called, when he's talking about that he's praying that God will make us, will fill us, make us complete. It's what's referred to uh, in the Greek. Well, you know, Harry, Norberto, you need to know this. It's what's called the divine passive. It's a, in the Greek, it's the passive, meaning that the object is being acted upon. And what it's being acted upon is by God. So what he's making very clear is this knowledge that he's talking about, the complete knowledge of the will of God, is not coming from man. It's not coming from science. It's not coming from any philosophy in this world. It is coming from God and God himself. It's understood that truths may be learned, but divine truths have got to be revealed. You see that? Truths can be learned, but divine truths has got to be revealed. It's got to be. And you can read more about this. It's called the doctrine of condescension. We would know nothing about God if God didn't reveal himself to us. God had to reveal himself to us. And that's what makes our God so gracious and so awesome and so loving is that he chose to reveal himself to us and give us a knowledge of his will, a complete knowledge of his will that we can rest on. The knowledge that Paul prays for is not the gnosis that is urged and, and pushed by the Gnostics and the philosophers at that time in Colossae. What Paul is saying here is he uses the Greek epinosis, coming to understand something clearly and distinctly as true and valid with personal acquaintance, and it necessitates a positive or negative reaction. This is, this is a, a knowledge that's true, a knowledge that's clear, and we know this. And this is a knowledge of the will of God. And it's not a secret and not unrevealed, but already revealed to us in Christ. We have all that we need for life and godliness. It's been revealed to us. All that we need has been revealed to us. And this is a knowledge of the will of God. But let me have some who are a lot smarter than me tell you more to what I'm talking about here. Dr. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, he writes, what Paul has in mind is not some particular or special direction for one's life, as we often use the phrase God's will. So he's saying that, as we often say it this way. We, we think that when we say God's will, we think it's some particular special direction for an individual's life. But what he's saying here is, but he's talking about a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Christ and all that he means for the universe. God's plan and his will and his desire for everything in the universe, not just us personally. You see that? Another commentator writes, the knowledge of God's will is more than simply an insight into how God wants his people to behave. It is an understanding of God's whole saving purpose in Christ and hence a knowledge of God himself. So you're seeing a theme already here? They're making it very, very clear. He's talking about the knowledge and talking about the will of God that we find in Christ. Again, see, we're talking about Scripture, and every time we talk about Scripture, Scripture always points us to who? To Christ. In the New Testament, absolutely. In the Old Testament, absolutely. Everything in Scripture points us to Christ. That is the will of God. Dr. Poole, he writes this, 
And the subject matter of their instant prayer was that they might attain to a more distinct, clear, and practical knowledge of the mind of God in Christ and a greater measure of conformity to what he requires in the gospel. So anytime we make decisions in life, Every time we've got to decide something, do something, uh, say something, all this stuff, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, what is the will of God that he has revealed to us in Christ? In Christ. And that has been made manifest and very, very clear to us in his word. John Calvin writes, the knowledge of the divine will by which expression he sets aside all inventions of men and all speculations that are at variance with the word of God. For his will is not to be sought anywhere else than in his word. And for years, family, people would come up to me and say, I just need to know what God's will is for my life. My response is the same and has been the same for years. Go read your Bible. Seriously. I mean, because let's just be honest here. It's like there's so much in the Bible that reveals God's will. So much. You know, I got questions. It blows me away all the time where all these specific questions. Well, Shane, you know, I'm talking about things that are more specific to me. Yeah, you'd be surprised how specific the Bible can be when it comes to what it reveals when it comes to God's will. You know, I was telling, uh, you know, Frank, I am still got this on my list of something I'm still trying to find. I just, something that Janine and I did in our devotions and we realized that it's there. I got to find it though. I just haven't sat down to find it. But so specific, even um, we're talking about the, you know, uh, several years ago we were having that, I mean, I think we still have the border crisis going on right now, but several years ago it was like, like eminent, like what are we going to do about the stuff that's happening at the border? There was a passage of scripture that Janine and I were reading. Um, I, we, we still got to find it, but we were just going, wow, this gives us the answer to even the border crisis. So much that's happening in the world. So specific is the scripture. So that's why I say to individuals, hey, if you really want to know, you guys, we got to look in the Bible. God makes it pretty clear. We don't have to go anywhere else but within scripture. I'm going to show you a little bit more about this. We find it in his word. We find the revealed will of God in his word, period, because the question is not what is God's will for something, but can we do God's will with that something? Whatever it is that we're trying to find God's will on. (laughs) The question we should be asking is, if I do this, can I do God's will? All right, I see a couple of crinkled foreheads. Let me give you another example just to try to flush this out. Let's talk about so many different things I can talk about with this. Let's talk about marriage. Here we go, marriage. Because marriage is one of the common ones, right? Hey, Shane, what's God's will? I got five different guys that I could choose to be my husband. (laughs) It's a lady saying that, Frank. She said that. (laughs) <laughs> Lynn's like, I hope so. Yeah. Five, there's five guys. I'm, I need to know which one is God's will for me. Right? This happens. Many of us have done this. Many of us have sought God's will. Many people have even said, I know this is the one that God has for me. It's amazing how many guys that these ladies marry who say that it's God's will for me that end in divorce a couple of months later, but it's just amazing to me how we want to seek this. Now, here's the problem. The problem is the reason why we do this is because what we're really trying to do is we're trying to ask God to give me insight as to which one I'm going to get along better with. Think about this now. That's really what we're asking Okay, we're looking at another guy. We don't know, but there is one that's perfect for me. There is one where we're just going to click. Everything is going to be good. Everything is going to be great. There's this one individual, and I need to know which one that is because if I pick the one that God has for me, then we're just not going to have any problems in life. Really? Isn't that what we're really saying? 
Isn't that what we're really, I mean, seriously, we're not looking at a spouse going, hey, you know what, this person, you know what, this person, I got real issues with this person. This person has got this, this person is going to do a really good job of sanctifying my life. Never mind. You're going to make my life miserable. We don't pick people who we know is going to make our lives miserable. That's what we're doing. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that that's one of the things marriage is used for. Sanctification. I tell you what, it's Janine. Janine is the one that's going to be able, that has been able to draw the worst out of me. I'm walking around thinking I'm this godly man and wife comes along and wham! I'm worse than the devil. But because of that is the reason why I got on my knees and I started praying to ask God to change my life. See, that's the thing we have. We got this idea. So the thing is, when it comes to the will of God, marriage, or it comes to our, our, our careers and all of these things, it's, it's because we want God to help us make a good decision so that I don't end up in failure. Right? Now watch this. We're asking God to give us insight to make a decision so that I can maintain the values and principles of this world. Do you guys realize that? When we say things like, you know, I don't want to do that because if I do that, I'm afraid I'm going to fail. I don't want to do this. And though it seems like it could be God's will, but I don't want to do this because it's just going to end in failure. And I, don't just, I just don't want to end in failure because we think that if God is the one that leads us into this, if this is God's will, then we're not going to fail. And that is the most unbiblical thing I've ever heard. If God leads me to this, I won't fail. Where do we get that from? You know where we get that from? It's a philosophy called pragmatism. It's a philosophy of the world. You guys remember, let's think Jeremiah. God called Jeremiah to do what? To preach his word, to declare his word to the people. And God told him from the outset that he was going to fail. Hello. He told him from the beginning, you are going to go and you are going to preach to these people and they are not going to listen to you. See, the thing is, is our problem is we go into these types of things and decisions that we make based on failure, success, failure, and success. When the Bible is telling us we pursue these things and the end result is not whether it fails or whether it succeeds, but whether it glorifies God. And if my failure brings glory to Christ, then fail I go. You see that? See, this is why it gets convoluted. This is why we get confused when it comes to the will of God. Because we've got all these other philosophies and things of the world that's affecting our mind, affecting our mindset. And so when it comes to marriage, hey, Shane, I'm trying to find out which guy is God's will. No. Hey, Shane, I'm trying... What I'm trying to, what we need to be doing is looking and saying, hey, which guy can I go with that will help me do the will of God? Who's going to help me do the will of God better? Because we know, we know, we got to be honest with ourselves, we know. Here it is, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here the assumption that Paul is giving us here is that the transformation of character and transformation of our conduct happens because of the renewal of the Christian mind. And this is what will equip us to test and approve God's will to discover personally and experientially what, that his ways are best. It's not to discover that it exists. It's for us to see and know that his ways are best. Because we know. 
And what is best is found in his word. Because the question, again, is not what is God's will for something, but can we do God's will with that something? Romans chapter 2, verse 18. Romans chapter 2, verse 18. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You've been taught the word of God. You know God's will. You know what he wants. You know what is right. And through the word, we see some content. Hey, some people be like, well, hey, Shay, can you give me some content? What is God's will? The word actually gives us content as to what this is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So if this marriage is going to sanctify you, then that's doing God's will. If this job is going to bring sanctification, then that's doing God's will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, it's not, is it God's will for me to do this? But can I do God's will by doing this? Something very sobering that I read this past week, something very sobering, coming from the best, who I consider to be the best living New Testament scholar that's alive right now. New Testament scholar, you're not going to find a finer New Testament scholar than this man. His name is D.A. Carson. He writes this, when some perpetually morose and whining Christians come to me, I tell them I know what God's will is for their lives. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Man, that like hit me. Like seriously, you go up to D.A. Carson and you're just like, man, I just don't understand what's going on, what God's doing in my life. It's just horrible. I just can't, I can't find a wife. You know, but all this, I can't find a job. I can't, I'm just complaining, complaining, complaining. I just want to know what God's will is for my life. And D.A. Carson says to you, I know what God's will is for your life. Give thanks in all circumstances, my brother. Give thanks. Because the Bible says it very clear. Give thanks in all circumstances. That is God's will for your life. It's folly, he says this, he continues. And this is where it gets really convicting. Hear this. It is folly to pretend to seek God's will for your life in terms of a marriage partner or some form of Christian vocation when there is no deep desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly revealed it. Do you guys feel that? Do you feel that? What he's saying there? It's just folly. You're trying to find God's will for your life, but you have no desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly and graciously revealed to us in his word. Point number two, wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of God's will consists of wisdom and understanding. See, the translations here tend to make it kind of fuzzy. And, it, and it's fuzzy because of our culture. We might be tempted to think that this is some kind of esoteric experience that we have in the realm of the spiritual, right? Spiritual understanding. But D.A. Carson and Douglas Moo, he, they help us with the regnering when they say, through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. So the translation is not wrong. It's just sometimes we just need a little bit of help understanding the sense of it. Through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. Because we can get that confused, but let's do something a little bit more clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, when Paul is talking about spiritual. See, I think a lot of times we see these kinds of things and we see, oh, God is going to spiritually, spiritually reveal these things to us. We think that that, does, that discounts the Bible. Why do we do that? There you go. I'm going to put this aside. Let me get on a uh, just question. Why do we do that? When, when, the, when, the, when people say God is going to gonna deal with us in spiritual ways or we're going to receive spiritual insight from God, when we receive from the, you know, the spiritual nature of Christianity, I love the spiritual aspects of Christianity. Why do we constantly think that that means that the Bible is excluded? Why do we do that? 
Do you guys get frustrated with that too? Like, the, if it's spiritual, that means the Bible isn't included. Just put the Bible out because the Bible, for some reason, is not spiritual. That's the thing. It's funny. Why do we do that? You know, this is, and I think this is the, one of the things that we have, one of the issues we have when it comes to this passage of Scripture. Wisdom and understanding, the all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we think that that discounts the Bible. Oh, no, no, no. It's not talking about the Bible here, Shane. It's talking about the spiritual insight and wisdom and understanding that we're going to get. Insight and understanding from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's why when the Bible is talking, <laughs> the Bible will say, and the Holy Spirit says, and tell you what the Holy Spirit says. It's so funny that we do that. We discount scripture from the spiritual nature of Christianity. But if there is one thing that's more spiritual than anything that we've ever experienced, it is the scripture. Because the Bible is the very word of God. I don't know if he can get any more spiritual than that. But okay, let me get back to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. Meaning that if you are a Christian, you have new spirit in you. Therefore, you can understand what the spirit is speaking. And all that whole transaction that's happening there is spiritual. So family, this has nothing to do with candles and incense and bongo music and chanting and being spooky spiritual. Just, yes, okay, thank you. You see, you hear what I'm talking about here? This has nothing to do with that. Oh, I need spiritual understanding. Better light some insight or incense. Because we can't understand anything spiritual if we don't have incense burning for some reason. If we are Christians, then we have received a new spirit because he is spirit. We receive it in spirit. It's simply spiritual format. It's not how we define spiritual in our culture today. And this is what happens. Our culture today affects how we define and understand what we say is spiritual. Have you guys heard the new, the new thing that just drives me nuts today? Is I'm spiritual but not religious. Have you guys heard that one before? That one's on the news all the time, man. Well, well, I would consider myself a spiritual person, but I'm not religious. Or the other one is, uh, I'm spiritual, but unaffiliated. That's my favorite one. Uh, 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 unaffiliated or not affiliated. Um, they even have like a, a moniker for these types of things, man. It's a, the SBNR pins and all this stuff. But what it's basically saying is this. It's a popular phrase that's used today to self-identify a life stance of spirituality that does not regard organized religion as the sole or most valuable means of furthering spiritual growth. So we can grow in spirit apart from Christianity, apart from religion, apart from all of that. I'm a spiritual person. I don't need all of that church stuff. I can still grow spiritually and still live a life of fruitful spirituality apart from the church. See, like the Colossians, I think we're being affected by the culture. Because I see this, I hear this all this time. We were, we were talking about this when we were talking about Zephaniah. We were preaching about this kind of stuff, like Christian tarot card reading. Or it's not tarot card reading, it's called Christian destiny cards. But it's tarot card reading. And because it's Christian, and because they say it's Christian, it makes it okay. You know, that, hey, let, let, let's do the tarot card reading so that you can know what God is wanting to say to you. You know, I just, I just, I just kind of wonder, like, sometimes, like, is like, <laughs> you know, our God has a sense of humor. He does. You know, the plank, the speck in the eye, that whole illustration is just really hilarious, really, if you think about it. I just wonder, like, sometimes, like, with the tarot card reading, like, you know, hey, there's this card that says, you know, this is life, and here's the card. Oh, this is prosperity, and, and oh, oh, death, you know, and, like, death isn't coming for everybody, right? And, you know, oh, oh, you know, uh, that new re relationship that's coming. I just wish that, like, God at that moment would, like, have the card that flips that says, hey, stupid, read your Bible, you know? <laughs> Like, that would come out. <laughs> anyway. Hey, the, the Colossians were being affected by the culture, just like is happening with us today. 
Spiritual growth in accordance with the will of God cannot happen apart from the Holy Spirit. I am sorry. There is no spiritual growth that happens in an individual apart from the Holy Spirit. But what does this have to do with the knowledge of the will of God? Well, this rendering assumes that the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives constitute the means by which God fills us with the knowledge of his will. Family, this is why Paul prays not for the people to find out the will of God for their lives, but that they will do the will that is already revealed to us with wisdom and understanding. Do you see, this is what is being communicated to us. The will of God is there. We see it, we understand it. But can we do it with all wisdom and understanding? This is where we need the help of the Holy Spirit. This is why we pray. We're praying every day, family, that we can grow and be filled with the knowledge of the will of God with all wisdom and understanding. Something we need to add to our prayer list, maybe. We need not find God's will for us, but for us to be in conformity to God's will. We don't need to find it. It's already there. We need to do it with wisdom and with understanding. Do we not feel like this is the same message we need to be hearing today? I'm helping. I'm helping us today. I'm hoping I'm helping us. You know, because like I, I, I don't, I've been through that stuff. Hey, you guys took that will of God course like 20 years ago. There was that will of God course where you compartmentalize the different types of will of God. And when you make decisions, you have to categorize your decisions within the different types of the will of God. There's the perfect will of God. There's the permissive will of God. There's the, I forgot all the other ones, but the popular will of God and the provo- prov- provoking will of God and, you know, all this stuff. And, and, and then when you make decisions, you have to put the decisions within these categories. You guys have never done this? Well, good, good. So you guys were saved a lot of brain damage, you know, because then you're like... You know, like, seriously, like, they would do things, like, with guys. And then they, <laughs> they even had, like, pictures of, of different guys. Like, you know, a, a guy's head that, you know, is just a severed head. And his name, you know, was, was Sean. It was a Sean. He's got Sean's head. And Ken is Ken head. And Charlie has a head. Randy has a head. And then which one of these guys am I going to marry? And then each one was categorized. Well, I think Sean is Probably the permissive will of God, and Ken is the, you know, popular will of God, and the, you know, all that is just trying to do. And so, what we had to do is we had to find out what was the perfect will of God. I'm I'm trying to help us here today. We don't need to do this stuff. This doesn't need to happen anymore. <laughs> Just like the Colossians, I think we're feeling the pressure to accommodate to the pressures and patterns of our current culture. I mean, I th- sometimes I feel like when, when we're talking to an individual, I'm counseling an individual when it comes to the, the will of God. And they're like, hey, I'm just trying to find the will of God. The, most of the time, 90% of the time, they're just biblically illiterate. They don't know what the Bible actually says when it comes to these types of circumstances. So that's just number one. But then number two, when I'm talking with those individuals, I'm like, well, then did you talk to this individual? Did you find out about this individual? Did you meet their family? Did you meet all this stuff? Did you, you guys go through like, you know, some counseling? Counseling together, did you guys do? Oh no, I just, I just, I don't need to know, know all that kind of stuff. I just need to know which one is God's will. So then it starts to feel like you're, we're trying to find the will of God, but we don't want to study for the test. We just want the right answer. Well, I don't know. The amen wasn't really that loud. Thank you. Does it feel that way? It's like, I don't want to study for the test. Just give me the answer. Take the easy way out. Just give me the answer. We got something going on with a married couple right here. Don't want to do, don't want to do what we need to do. Just give me the answer. Man, it's absolutely mind-boggling when it comes to this stuff sometimes. How else are we going to have our hearts and minds come into conformity with the will of God in our current canceled Christianity culture? We need the Lord. Family, we've got to pray for it, man. We've got to pray for it. 
Pray for me that I live in conformity to the will of God. Oh, you know, we don't need, you don't need to pay. I just pray that Shane will figure out the will of God. No, no, no. You need to pray that I do the will that God has already shown us and given us. So many today in the church, are, we're, so, we're still kind of fad chasing. You know, we're fad chasing. We, we chase the latest fad. Here's a best-selling book in Christianity. Let's read it. Let's get on the fad. Let's still chase the fads. Not, you know, not realizing that a lot of the stuff isn't biblical. And really, through the admission of many of these authors, they're doing it to get money. They're just doing it to give you, get money from you. I mean, just with all this, this studying and, the, and, and mixing the culture, philosophy, and, and, and counseling that I've done over the years, I, I can figure out a way to get money from you guys. <laughs> I can. I can make it super, 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 super clear and get you guys to empty out your bank accounts today if I really wanted to. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing these kinds of things, uh, you know, that, that we come up with. But they even say it. They admit it that they're, they're really just after our money. So we're chasing all these fads, and they're getting our money. They are. Gimmick, gimmick placing, we, we continue to do that. Bandwagon jumping, we still jump on the latest bandwagon, the latest methodologies, latest thing we need to do. And you know where you see this really bad, the bandwagon stuff? You see it with pastors. I ain't going to lie. You see with pastors, we get together, you know, we get together at lunch, you know, we do the pastor gatherings, the pastor get-togethers, we all get together talking about church, you know, well, you, most of the time we're talking about church, not all the time, but, you know, we get together doing the stuff, and it's always the same. It's always the same. This person's church is doing really well. Well, what are you doing? Give me some of the things that you're doing so that I can implement those same things at our church. You know, so it's the latest, greatest thing, the latest, greatest methodology. We still do all this stuff. But see, what we desperately need is not another fad. We don't need gimmicks. We don't need bandwagon. We don't need brand new innovative technology. You know what we need? We need our culture today to be desperate and reflective and dependent on the word of God. That's what we need. We just got to have that. We got to sit on that. We got to rest in that. We got to rest in that family. And it's so freeing, you know. It's so freeing for me to just get to the point where you're just like, you know what? This is what the Bible says. I'm going to take it at face value, and I'm just going to rest in that. And I was just talking to Janine. Janine and I were talking about this this morning, and she said those very same words to me. You know, it's just amazing that what my life has been like since I just decided I'm going to believe the Bible. Right? So much so, like I'm saying this, so much so I'm resting my entire life, I'm building my entire life on Scripture, so much so that if somehow, some way, the Bible was to be found out to be false, my entire life would come crashing down. I don't, we can't live. This is, it's miserable Christ, for us as Christians to be one foot on the Bible and the other foot kind of out here just in case. You know what I'm saying? Like, just in case something goes wrong with the Bible, ah, I'm okay. <laughs> we don't fly plane like that. When was the last time you saw somebody flying a plane with one leg sticking out? It's complete trust or nothing. We're going to make ourselves miserable if we're just halfway in when it comes to the scriptures. We can't live this way. We can't live like that. How is it? See, here's the thing that's really amazing to me when people will say this. How is it that we have more Christian resources today than we ever have had in all of Christian history, and yet we are more biblically illiterate than we have been in all, throughout all history? Amen. How is that possible? Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus told them, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's funny that we live in a Christian culture where the pursuit of finding out the will of God for our lives is at an all-time high, and the fundamentals of Bible knowledge is at an all-time low. Well, of course, we're searching for the will of God because we don't know it. 
And we don't know it because we don't read the Bible and we don't understand the Bible. The more we know about the will of God revealed in Scripture, the more we're going to be concerned with doing it instead of knowing it. You know, this I was telling Janine this morning. It was like when it comes to understanding the will of God, the more we understand God's will, when, when you're reading the Bible, every single time you read the Bible, you're understanding more and more God's will. That, that list of God's will just starts to grow, doesn't it? And then it's just like you got all this stuff that's being left undone because we're trying to find God's will for our lives. And this list just keeps growing. And I was telling her, I'm just like, yeah, you know why I'm not trying to find the will of God for my life here? I'm having problems doing the will of God that I already know I'm supposed to be doing. Man, I tell you what, it'll take me a lifetime just to do what it is that I already know I'm supposed to be doing. This is revolutionary, family. This is going to help us. The more we know the will of God revealed in Scripture, the more concerned we are about doing it instead of knowing it. That's the reason why the psalmist said, teach me to do your will. So, yeah, I'm just, you know, I get it. We, we want to search God's will for all of these types of things. We want to find the perfect, the permissive, the popular, all this kind of stuff. Family, forget about it. You got a great idea? Well, let's find out if it's the will of God. No. You got a great idea? Ask yourself this question. Does it help us do the will of God? Because if it does, then let's do it. But Shane, you don't understand, man. If, 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 we, if I do this, you know, and, and we do this, and a lot of times this is what happens. We do this, and then people go, well, you know, I just don't have time to do this anymore. I uh, just don't want to do it anymore. Just other things in my life have come up. I want to do that. I need to do this. And, you know, I know that we agreed to do this at the church because we believe this is the will of God. And then we know this is doing the will of God. I just can't do it no more. And then somebody says, yeah, I can't do it no more. And then all this stuff. And then so whatever it is, this mission. That we, and you guys know this, we've seen it, right? This thing that we decided that we were going to do, we started it, we did it, now it falls apart because people just don't have time to do it. We just lost interest, all this stuff, and we just walk away from it. And then the first thing we'll say is, I guess that wasn't the will of God. Right? That's what we'll say. And so we won't do it because we're afraid that's what's going to happen. We're going to get too busy. We're going to do this. We're going to be distracted. We're going to do all this stuff. But family, we say that's not the will of God. Isn't that the same thing we do every single day when it comes to the other things in life that is the will of God? God decides that he wants us to proclaim the gospel from the rooftops. We don't do it because we don't have time. I don't have time to do it. I don't have time to do that. I just got other things that I need to do. I, don't, I can't do this kind of stuff. Oh, I guess that wasn't the will of God then. You see that? It's huge. We don't do that when it comes to the other stuff. So we think that just because it didn't work out, that it's not the will of God. No, it absolutely is the will of God. We're just too lazy, apathetic, and distracted to fulfill God's will in our lives. I know this is hard. Right, I just like I've always said, I was just going to be honest. This is in essence what Paul is trying to get us to see when he's talking about the knowledge, full knowledge of the will of God, spiritually receive wisdom and understanding from the Spirit. We need to be concerned with doing God's will, and we need God to help us to do the will of God. True, I will say this. Basic knowledge alone, basic knowledge of the Bible alone doesn't bring this kind of knowledge that, of God's will that Paul has in mind here. True, I, I, I'm in agreement. But ignorance of the Bible, the primary place where God has graciously revealed his will, pretty much ensures that we will not ever be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Yeah, knowing the Bible is not all we need. But not knowing the Bible is guarantee. We are never going to get to that place. We got to know scripture. So let's join with Paul in praying along these lines, praying more for the doing the will of God that he has already graciously given us. Praying like the psalmist. Teach me to do your will. 
for you are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Pray more that we're doing his will. And there's a lot already he has revealed about what he desires us to be doing in our culture, in our land today. You know, well, I'm Shane, I'm just not doing a good job of loving my neighbor. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I'm just not doing a good job of it. I just, I'm too distracted. I'm too, too, you know, I just tired. I got to spend time with my family. I just can't do that. So that must not be God's will then. Why do we do this? It's the same thing when it comes to things that we want to do. Oh, well, you know what? It just doesn't work out. This thing with this, this woman in my life, she does not do what I need her to do. You know, she doesn't clean up the toothpaste in the sink. We're talking about that, right? Doesn't do this. She is not the one. She is not the person that God has for me. <laughs> this, is, this is the thing, too, that we, we, we lose sight of. We lose sight of what's important. You know, when it comes to marrying somebody, when it comes to our spouse, the Bible absolutely gives us what's required when it comes to a spouse. Number one, and I can't believe I got to make this clear. Number one, that, you know, each partner needs to be boy, girl. The Bible makes that pretty clear. But you know what's really interesting? The Bible makes something very, very, very clear when it comes to requirements. Do you know the main requirement? I mean, there's all these little things that we can get, but the main direct requirement we have in the scriptures when it comes to finding another person of who to marry when it comes to God's will. Do you know? It just There's just one thing that's primary clear. They just can't be an unbeliever. And you know what's funny? Is we think, oh, that's, but Shane, that's not enough. That already shows me how little you think of the power and grace of God. Seriously, already. Man, if God, the power, it's like, hey, but you don't understand. We're just not getting along. We're two different people. Let me tell you something about what God did, and he proved it. Do you realize that Jews and Gentiles absolutely hated each other? It was like ingrained in them from day one. Christianity comes. The Holy Spirit comes. Transformation happened into people where two people who were brought up, natural-born enemies, hating each other more than any people have ever hated another person, will come together and not just worship God together, but give their lives for each other. And you think God can't make your marriage work? It's, it's so there. It's so there. Because God said in his word, my grace is sufficient for you. And what we see here, finally, as we close, the ultimate will of God for us today Watch this. John chapter 6, verses 26 to 29. John chapter 6, verses 26 to 29. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. I want you to be with me because I, I, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. So right there, drop all distractions in life and we seek the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has sent me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And we've seen that faith is foundational to our lives as Christians and essential for all that we need to grow. Believing is the instrument to receive all that the Lord has for us. Redemption, our sanctification, our resurrection, and our salvation. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, let's be honest, we have not lived in accordance to the revealed will of God. I got 10 of them. 10 of them that you all know. 
And I know that you know because God made it very clear that he wrote those Ten Commandments on every single person's heart. No one is righteous. No, not one. The Bible makes that clear. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. But here's the problem. The wages of sin is death, destruction, and eternal damnation. This is bad for us. But as part of the revealed will of God, we find out the good news of his plan to redeem man. It's called the gospel. This is the reason why Christ, the son of God, came. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, 1 Peter 2, 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. The promises and the revelation of the will of God even continues that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the gospel of Jesus. And family, right now, at this moment, in your hearing, you have just heard the complete, full revelation of the will of God in Christ. Family, we have it. We have all that we could ask for. We have more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it's found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www dot cbcaurora dot com